Our scripture today is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 and then 4 through 7. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. I've had a few foot-in-mouth uh, moments over the past few weeks that kind of stand out in my mind. And one of them was a couple of weeks ago, I made a blooper video of Stacy. She's just prime candidate because I film her so much with her scripture readings. And you only see, you know, the good end product, but there's all the fun stuff leading up to it. So I made a blooper video last week and I put it onto YouTube and I thought to myself, you know what, Stacy's going to love it. She will laugh. She, I know her sense of humor. I've worked with her for years. She'll love it. And, uh, but then uh, I checked in a couple of times throughout the day after posting it and uh, she hadn't liked the video. She hadn't commented on the video. And she, there was no activity at all. And I found myself thinking, okay, what happens if she doesn't think it's funny. What happens if right now she's offended? What happens if she's at home crying now to Scott or saying to him, that's it, I'm done with work at Cornerstone because I have the meanest ever boss. And so I wrote to her a message and I said something like, you know, I tried to keep it lighthearted because I was just feeling the ground, you know. And I said, hey, I made this thing for fun and uh, please let me know if it's not funny for you and I'll take it down right away. Short time later, Stacy wrote back, and these were her words, no worries, I just saw it, it's hilarious, you're really good at editing, seriously, that was great, with numerous exclamation marks spread throughout those sentences, and I, I, it sounds silly, but I had a legit few moments that things, everything was okay, I could then relax, I could then really settle, and, and I, I'm sure that you've experienced this as well, is that when things uh, are unsettled, if you're unsettled in any way, then, then uh, it's not a nice experience. But, but that feeling of being unsettled is like our internal radar that's telling us that something is potentially wrong and how can we make it right? That really is the question. Um, and then often that settling down happens once the tension is resolved. 
like that message from Stacey telling me that she in fact liked the video and I think it's getting up there as the some of the most watched videos on Cornerstone uh, currently held by her daughter Kelsey so uh, keep watching that video and liking it and she will be back to number one um, but uh, but but sometimes we resolve you know the situations by maybe you know, talking to someone, or sometimes by relocating, right? Moving away from that situation that causes us unsettledness, moving to another class, moving to another job, moving to another town. And, but what this shows us is that the whole idea of being settled, having that internal settledness, is important. Um, so we use phrases like, I've settled into my new job, right? I've settled my stomach with that pink liquid, right? Uh, I've settled an ongoing workplace argument through HR, right? We, uh, having things settled is important because we're always looking for some level ground for us to stand on, some sort of equilibrium. So even in class, right, often what teachers say when they come into a rambunctious class is they say, settle down, children, settle down. And I don't know, but I would guess that there's not one culture, one classroom, one city uh, across the whole world and the span of, of history that that phrase, settle down children, hasn't been used at least once. Settle down. But what happens when our circumstances don't change? What happens when there is no way out? What happens when we cannot just cut our losses and run? Is there a way for us to be settled on the inside when our outside circumstances are unsettled? And as far as we know, they're never, ever going to change. You know, the Jews were in exactly this situation in the book of Jeremiah. They'd been forcibly evicted from their homeland by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar in an exile that took place in three waves, one, two, three, between 597 and 581 yeah, BC. And our text this morning is written into this context of unsettledness. So we read this. Once I turn on my thing. There we go. We read this. This is the text of the letter. Oops. Come on. Okay, there we go. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people that Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this letter was written to a group of people who are in exile. And to make it worse, Jeremiah's message is clear that this exile is happening because of their sins. They only have themselves to thank for this. And he also tells them that this exile is going to last for 70 years. However, there's also a rival group of prophets who are also prophesying at the same time. And they're telling the people that actually this exile is only going to last for two years. And there's a big difference between mentally preparing for something that's going to last for 70 years versus mentally preparing for something that lasts for two years. Here's, um, well... Here's an example. What if you were told that, you know, that for COVID, that that COVID situation was going to last not for two years, not from 2019 to 2021, but was going to last for 70 years. How would you prepare for that? Okay, you'd have to do some thinking or some relocating or some 
I don't know, something. Or here's an example as well. Uh, you know, I'm leaving on Tuesday for this mission trip to Cambodia, and on the way back, I have a layover in Seoul in Incheon in Korea. And this layover is nearly 12 hours long. Now, for a two-hour layover, that's easy. I can read my book, I can find my gate, I can wait, I can, you know, I can maybe get a coffee. Two-hour layover is nothing. But 12 hours, filling 12 hours requires planning. Maybe I'll see if I can leave the airport and actually visit Seoul itself. Maybe I'll work on a sermon or um, do some, some video editing from the trip. Uh, trip. I know that I'll have to plan at least two meals within those hours. Maybe I'll even um, uh, rent a hotel room and squeeze in a six-hour nap. You know, I don't know what I'll do in that time. But either way, I have no choice. Once I'm in Incheon Airport, I have no choice but to settle down for that 12-hour layover and to make the most of it. Here's a more serious example. What if someone is imprisoned for life? with no chance of any parole ever. I would think that at some point that person, whether they're guilty or not, they would have to settle in, they'd have to accept that this is their reality, um, rather than constantly wishing for something else. You know, even just for their own mental health, they would have to reach that point where they settle down. Now, as you look at your life, maybe you're not in exile, maybe you're not in an airport for a layover, maybe you're not in prison, um, maybe you're not looking at a 70-year COVID, uh, but, there, but maybe there are circumstances in your life that are absolutely out of your control, and they make you feel like you're in exile from that life that you once dreamed of. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's a loveless marriage or a broken marriage. Maybe it's yet another empty... F- Thanksgiving table, full of only memories and what-ifs. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it's a, a, um, a call with your doctor out of the blue. You know, I imagine that the parents of the 24 children who were killed in the daycare in Thailand this week feel like they are in exile. Or the family of Masa Amini, who was killed in Iran recently for wearing her head covering incorrectly, or the people in Ukraine, including Ernest and Luba, who are still praying to come here in exile. Maybe you're looking at your life, at the rest of your life, and it's really different from what you once thought it would be. Maybe your child, you know, just came out, or you're a teen, or you're a young adult who's wrestling with these thoughts yourself. And your future from where you're standing looks very different from how you imagined it. Maybe you've lost all of your savings. Maybe the world in which your children are being raised is very different from the one that you knew and you're struggling to come to terms with it. You wish the world was simply like it used to be, that kind of rose-tinted spectacles as we look back on the past. Everything was good. Was it really? I think we can all feel like we're in exile from time to time, that life is out of joint, this sense that things could be very different from how they currently are. And, you know, of course, I can't speak into every situation this morning, but I think that as we try to understand how God helped the Israelites navigate their literal exile, that perhaps we'll find something to help us in our personal exile. 
So as we continue, it might be helpful for you to identify in your life what it is that you would consider to be your exile. What is that situation or that circumstance that you're stuck in and it's unlikely that it will ever change short of a miracle from God himself. Now, please note, I'm not talking about an abusive situation or a circumstance here in which you feel unsafe. I'm not talking about grinning and bearing that because that grieves the heart of God. If you feel unsafe, then it's maybe the best, you know, for you to get out of there. Move somewhere safe. Talk to someone you can trust. But there are many situations that we find ourselves in that aren't abusive, aren't unsafe, but still are incredibly very, very tough. They're difficult. They cause us sleepless nights. They are our own personal exile. So think of that thing, that one thing, that 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 reality in your mind as I continue to speak. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 4. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles that I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Build gardens and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. There are prophets, like I said, who are saying it's all going to be over soon. And verse 21 actually identifies them as Ahab and uh, Zedekiah. But then, in, and regarding them, God says in verse number 29, he says, they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. Instead, through, through Jeremiah, God is saying to the Israelites to build houses, to live in them, to plant gardens, and to eat the produce. These are words of settle down. And in fact, the New International Version uses this these, this phrase, build houses and settle down. Settle down like that teacher says in school. Okay, children, it's now time to settle down. You know, the teacher means that you will get more out of your class, as will your fellow students, if you just settle down. And this isn't something that we hear very often nowadays, is it? Settle down. You know, you've probably heard uh, the cliche that In the olden days, people worked for the same company for 30, 40, or 50 years. Now it seems more normal to be chopping and changing every few years or even every few months. And that's not a bad thing per se. Maybe it's good to not have to settle. It's good to try new things. It's good to aim for that change or promotion or transfer. It's good to have ambition. But I also think it's more normal now than it was then to opt out to take the easy road out. And so if that is the case, then in what way might settling down in your circumstance be something that could be worth exploring? Many times, and maybe you've experienced this as well, is that it's the things that we invest in over the long term that end up yielding the greatest results, whether it's financial investment or a long marriage or sticking with a job. 
But there's a reason that people sign contracts. There's a reason why people make vows in marriage. Why? Because settling down is hard work. And sometimes fairly, sometimes not, settling down is equated with keeping the status quo, with not having any ambition whatsoever, with compromising your values. And there are, of course, examples where this is true. But might it be that uh, when you are faced with a future over which you have no control and which is not going to change anytime soon, that perhaps settling down might be your greatest example or your greatest expression of self-determination and self-empowerment. Because instead of expending a lot of energy on wishful thinking, instead you're You're looking at how you can serve God in that situation instead. In fact, this is the heart of the serenity prayer written by Reinhold Niebuhr. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Friends, accepting things that we cannot change does not mean acquiescence. It does not mean that we are giving up. In fact, it can be The complete opposite. It can be a powerful form of you uprising, of you, of some insurgency in your life against the cultural tendency to escape or to get out of there as quickly as you can. It can be a a hugely empowering thing to settle down. And a great example of this is is that letter from my great-grandma to my grandmother I talked about last week. You know, the facts were this, that Joan was evacuated to another part of the country. Uh, Fact number two was that Joan missed home. Fact number three was that Joan wanted to leave, and, uh, and, and so her mum wrote to her in that context, and instead of filling her head with wishful thinking, this is what my great-grandma wrote to my grandma. She wrote this, I received your letter this morning, and I knew that you would get homesick, dear, but it would be more strange if you did not. But now is the time to show you have some pluck. I referenced this last week. And then the the next letter, anyway, darling, I didn't want to part with you, but did it for your own welfare. So you just keep your chin up and wait a little longer and see how things turn out. And so in the case of the Israelites, God, through Jeremiah, he doesn't say uh, to show pluck. He doesn't say to keep your chin up. Instead, what he says is build houses and live in them. He says plant gardens and eat their produce. You know, I think it's uh, a fact that the longer you are somewhere, the more permanent the structure you build, right? So when the ancestors of these folks were uh, migrating through, through the desert, they lived in tents because they were constantly on the move. But here God is saying to invest in your homes. He's saying to build foundations. He's saying to take the time to tame the land. He's saying make this space your own. In, in fact, in, or in a sense, God is saying this. He's saying make your exile work for you. Now, some of them Many of them, in fact, probably all of the people in that first generation that left, they would never see Jerusalem again. This was it. And so these prophets who said to them, I'll just wait a couple of years and then everything's going to be okay, those weren't kind words. 
This was the worst kind of cruelty. It was the cruelty of false hope. When I was uh, waiting for my connecting flight from Montreal to Ottawa in June, I've talked about it before, many of you have heard this, uh, but this voice over the tannoy kept on saying, the flight has been delayed by 90 minutes. And then that 90 minutes turned into three hours, turned into five hours, turned into seven hours, and they kept stringing us along until 11 o'clock at night when they announced, actually, the flight has been closed, cancelled. Don't you think that I'd have preferred someone to be honest with me at the beginning? Look, we're doing our best, but uh, it looks like the flight's going to be cancelled. We're not 100% sure. We, we may still run it, but feel free to go ahead and make your plans. Okay? Stringing someone along isn't nice. It might make you feel good in the moment. It might give them temporary hope. But ultimately, they're not going to thank you. And that's why Jeremiah's ministry was so miserable for him. Because he was a lone voice telling the people the truth that this exile is going to last for 70 years. And if that's the case, if this exile was going to last for 70 years, then surely... One way that the Israelites could harness some control over their life while in exile was to build and to plant and to have children and to give their children in marriage and for them in turn to have children. You see, if they hadn't made this choice early on, if everyone had said, look, we're going to wait until we get home to get married. It's only a couple of years and then we can have our local priest you know, do the wedding. It'll be lovely. And we can have the reception in your parents' you know, backyard as we've always planned. Or what if folks had said, look, we're not going to get pregnant until we go home. So that we can have our child blessed in the temple like we want it. If the Israelites had all decided to wait, then who would have gone back? No one. Because no one was marrying. And no one would have been having any children. Which is why the greatest most powerful act of life in exile was to keep on living. I thought I had that as a slide. It's not, but it's a good thing. Write that down. The greatest, most powerful act of life in exile is to keep on living. So that when their 70 years were done, and they would be done eventually, they could return home with people who were humbled, who were renewed, who were ready to start life again, who did not take God or their homeland for granted any longer, and their culture would have been uh, saved, and the ways of life uh, of the Israelites would have been transmitted from one one generation and on, all because they chose to settle down while in exile. So settling down is important, but it's important that we don't settle. You know, like I mentioned earlier, one of the risks of settling down is that you settle. You stop trying, that you don't grow. Uh, When faced with exile, with circumstances outside of your control, it's easy to be fatalistic and to get into a groove to think, well, there's no point in even trying, so I'm just going to sit here and do absolutely bugger all. And that's why, as much as it's important to settle down, it's important to never settle. 
My great-grandma uh, expressed this idea to my grandma in one of her wartime letters. She wrote to her daughter, who was homesick. She wrote to her daughter, who was an evacuee, who was in a sort of an exile. She said this, get all of the fun you can and help as much as you possibly can. Get all of the fun you can and help as much as you possibly can. And God, through Jeremiah, words it like this. He says, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. That your, that your fate is tied up in, in the well-being of the city. And, what, and, and so here, we see two things. We see God saying, first of all, he says to pursue the well-being of the city. And then he says to pray to the Lord on its behalf. And you can see that in both of these um, words of encouragement, that what God's doing is he's showing the people a pathway through that avoids these two awful pitfalls of you know, total despair and wishful thinking. Neither of these are helpful. And so God shows them a way through in these two phrases. And so what that means is that when we choose to be good citizens, when we choose to get stuck in, when we choose to be involved in community groups and in politics or in the North, North Gore Gardeners group or in the local baseball league, when we get involved with the show love team here at Cornerstone or we volunteer with the scouts and the guides, when, when we pray walk around the town, when we give to the food bank or we volunteer with the Salvation Army, we're choosing to pursue the well-being of the place where we live. Maybe your exile is, uh, is grief or loss of some, some kind. Maybe for you, you're tempted to lose yourself in hopelessness. And maybe a way through this is for you to give back. Maybe it's to comfort those who are grieving like you. You know, a couple of weeks ago at worship practice, yeah, Terry Black told me that she volunteers with a senior's phone line called A Friendly Voice. And it's nice because... She's able to do this from her own home, and lonely people, lonely old people get to call this phone line. She answers the phone, and she chats with them, you know, for 20 minutes, and that's it. And that's the end of the phone call, and then she's on to the next one. But this is one of the way, ways that someone in our congregation is creatively pursuing the good of the place where she lives. Or maybe we could word it like this, leave your corner of the world in a better way than when you found it. Linda sews quilts for those who are dealing with cancer. Kim and Linda volunteer at the food bank. Some of you are on school council. Some of you raise money for people who are going through hard times. Marcia and Ron have actually dedicated part of their house to a Ukrainian refugee family. The list goes on and on. This is how we pursue the well-being of the place where God has put you. And we also pray to the Lord on its behalf. And, and I think that these two sentences probably apply to any circumstance in which you find yourself, any exile. Because as you determine to pursue the good of that place or that person or of that community, of that situation, then you are taking control back of your life in the most positive way you possibly can and in the most God-glorifying way.
Maybe it's a job that you hate but you need so that you can put food on the table. Maybe it's a marriage that's going through hard times. Maybe it's a school class that you really are not enjoying at all. Well, how can you pursue the well-being of those in that class, in that job, in that marriage? And pray for them. Intercede for them. Pray to the Lord on their behalf. Invite him into the scenario. Set him free to work in a miraculous way in that situation. And as you do that, you will see your heart change. So, where are you in exile right now? What is the situation in which you find yourself from where there is no easy way out? Where you feel stuck, trapped, unable to move, walled in. Do you think that God might be calling you to settle down, to make the best of this bad situation, to start putting down foundations instead of emotionally living in a tent, to to start growing a garden in this place of barren soil, to start making a home in this place that you would rather not be, to choose to raise a family and influence them in the ways of God instead of wasting your years longing for what you once had or might have had if only you chosen otherwise? How is God calling you to settle down? But friends, even though God calls us to settle down, he never tells us to settle or to give up our agency. Instead, we pursue the well-being of this place and we pray to the Lord on its behalf. And we can be change makers in that place that we'd rather not be through being salt and light. And so as disciples of Jesus, we settle down without settling. And that looks very different for each of us. You know, as I close, one day, all of us who are in Christ are going to go home to be with him. So in a sense, that means that all of us are in some way, in some form of exile right now, because we're not yet home. But while we're here, it would be good for us to practice settling down without settling. Because it's in the context of settling down without settling that we can claim a very famous promise of God that he makes just a few verses later. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. You will call to me, And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So may we search for God with all our hearts, because his promise is that if we do this, even in exile, we will find him.